Good morning, church. Glad you guys are here. Thank you for braving, braving the terrible weather. I know it's really, it's really bad out there. You guys are brave. You're here instead of getting milk and bread. And that just, I don't know how you're able to push through your St. Louis instincts and do that, but I'm proud of all of you. Proud of all of you. Um, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1 today, continuing our series on Advent. Um, and I want to get to that pretty quick, but man, man, what a time of worship, huh? God is so good to us. I tell you guys, um, I don't know if you figured this out in like the two months that we've had him, but Chris is pretty great, yeah? Like Chris is awesome. We love Chris. He's such a blessing to our church, and we want to protect that. Uh, he's uh, here part-time, and so we want to make sure he doesn't have to lead every Sunday. And how stinking cool is it on uh, the week when Chris takes a break that we get to have Travis come in and hang out with us and, and serve us um, from Mid-Cities, the church that we love and, and, and got to pray for. If you guys don't know Travis and haven't gotten to hear his awesome testimony of God's faithfulness in the midst of suffering, um, man, buy him and Emily a meal. Like, get out with them, hang out, hear their story, be encouraged by God's goodness. Um, and, you know, maybe g- give them a night out away from kids. Like, that'd be nice too. But uh, seriously, Seriously, say hi to Travis, give him a handshake, a hug, remind him that you love him, remind him that we're, we're praying for him. And man, what a gift. What, what, what a gift we have in, um, in our church and what God's provided here and in the family he's given us through these sister churches. Amen? Amen? So, we're in Luke today, continuing this Advent series. We're in the third week of Advent, which is the week of joy. And we're going to read a really long passage today. Uh, kind of one of the traditional Christmas passages, um, and I think God will have something really cool in it for us. If you don't have a Bible, um, we have house Bibles in the end of each row. I'd love for you to snag one. Um, we just really believe in the importance of access to God's Word uh, here at Red Tree. Uh, let me pray for us, and then we'll start our reading in Luke 1, starting in verse 26. Jesus, thank you so much for the gift of this morning. Thank you for your goodness, Jesus. You care for us so well. You care for us so deeply. Lord, today as we dig into your word and we hear a story that um, is probably pretty familiar for a lot of us, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would be our interpreter and our discipler today, that you would give us clear, fresh eyes to hear from you and see uh, the amazing story of redemption that you've been working out to your glory and to our benefit. And Lord, we ask um, that today, regardless of what circumstances brought us here, we would, we would leave this gathering today having spent our morning with you. We love you, Jesus. So we pray these things in your name. Amen. So starting in Luke chapter 1, in the 26th verse of the first chapter of the gospel according to Luke, we read this. In the sixth month, The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to be married. Turn my own page. To a man whose name was Joseph in the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. 
And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the virgin, how will this be, to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. This is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Come on. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now in those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And behold, when the sound of your greeting was, came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he is mighty and has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. The rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. And this is the word of the Lord. That's a good long story, huh? This is a long passage, but it is a beautiful story. It's a beautiful story, and I hope we can be slow enough today to actually uh, see this story with fresh eyes. In fact, I would ask you guys to actually like, make that decision mentally. I want, I want us all to do our best to take in this story with new and fresh eyes. I think God has something really cool to encourage us with this morning, and I don't want us to miss out on this. So here's what we're going to do. I want to walk back through this story. There's, there's a couple just contextual and cultural things that I think will help clarify what's going on here. But ultimately, I think this story really kind of speaks on its own. And I think when we get to the space where maybe we're all on the same page of what's being said here, uh, we'll wrap our teaching around with some, uh, a truth from Hebrews and we'll end our time out in the Psalms by taking communion. Sound good? Good. So, let's jump into this story. We're in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, if you don't know what that means, 
The Gospel of Luke is one of the four Gospels that open up the New Testament. These are uh, four books of the Bible that tell the same story. They tell about the person and work and ministry and truths and teaching of Jesus Christ. And each one tells that story from a different perspective. Same story, but with a different emphasis. The Gospel of Luke is the Gospel of Jesus Christ, but contextualized to the marginalized. Luke tells the gospel story from the perspective of those people who are forgotten, of those people who are uh, unseen and unheard. He tells the story of the personal work of Jesus with special attention to Jesus' love and ministry to the marginalized. The whole thing is, in Luke, more so than any of the other gospels, you are reminded how much God sees the unseen. And he loves the unloved. And I think that's good for us today. We're starting from that perspective. So, we jump into this familiar story, right? The beginning of our text today was actually our Advent reading last week, right? And the whole thing of the angel appearing to Mary, like that's one of those things that makes its way onto Christmas cards and in Advent readings and in kids' story Bibles. We've seen or heard that scene before, even if we haven't spent time in church. But what's interesting in Luke is that that scene where we started today is actually jumping into the middle of the story. Luke actually opens by telling two miraculous birth narratives and comparing and contrasting them. So at the beginning of Luke, we have an angel appearing to a priest in Jerusalem and telling him about a miraculous birth his wife will experience. And this is the birth of John the Baptist. Now it's important to start there because it's important to see that Luke starts the story with a priest in the temple in Jerusalem. Now, that doesn't mean a lot to us, but that's the social equivalent of starting the story like in downtown New York with a CEO, right? Like Jerusalem is the city, it's the place. The temple is the place in Jerusalem, and the priests are the people of the temple in the city. And so when the story opens with God revealing himself to a priest in Jerusalem at temple, that actually makes sense. And by the way, it makes sense of what's going on in the Gospels. The Gospels are how we open the New Testament. One of the things I think we often forget as New Testament believers who have the whole of Scripture is that there was a massive gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament right? This summer we studied some of the minor prophets and we went through Malachi. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament and chronologically the last written book in the Old Testament. And what we often forget is that after Malachi, God stopped speaking to his people. And that's intense. For hundreds of years, the phone line went dark, the office lights went off, and God stopped speaking. The prophets who used to be in office ministering God's truth to God's people, dried up and went away. And the temple worship continued, and God's people continued to pursue him, but the relationship changed. They were doing the worship, they were showing up to temple, they were doing the things, but they were not hearing from God in return. In the same way that God's people labored calling out to him for 400 years in bondage in Egypt, and God jumped back onto the scene speaking to a shepherd through a burning bush, what we have in the Gospels is God reintroducing himself to his people after generations of silence. 
And so it makes sense that his first stop would be a priest in the temple in Jerusalem, right? But what actually happens, if you go back and read that story, is the priest responds with unbelief. He doubts. He doesn't know how to handle this. A man who's been ministering to God his whole life meets with God and is like, what are you talking about? And then the story switches, and it picks up with us. And all of a sudden, an angel is appearing to a teenage girl in a town called Nazareth, in a place called Galilee. And the contrast between Nazareth of Galilee and Jerusalem of Judea could not be more stark. Those places are famous to us because we are on the other side of Jesus. We're on the other side of his life and ministry and death and resurrection and ascension. But in this day, Nazareth of Galilee held about as much weight to the people hearing this as Bandana, Kentucky holds to you. I've got a picture of Bandana. You guys think a lot about Bandana, Kentucky? I don't. I was so scared that I would put that up and someone would be like, my family's from there. <laughs> That's the smallest town in Kentucky. Got a population of like 203 people. We don't think about Bandana, Kentucky very often. They do have a lot of churches. <laughs> We don't think about Bandana, Kentucky very much because it's a tiny town in the middle of nowhere, right? And, and, and we're not from New York, right? But we're from a big enough city that we just don't think about stuff like that. People in this day could have cared less about Nazareth of Galilee. It's a little nowhere town in the middle of nowhere. So Luke gives us this amazing contrast where God decides to break the silence and reintroduce himself to his people. And so he goes and he meets with a priest in the temple in Jerusalem and the priest's response is doubt. And then he goes and he meets with a teenage girl in Nowheresville, nowhere. And her response is faith. What an amazing contrast. And what an amazing way that our God works, amen? He sees the unseen. He loves the unloved. This is the God we serve. He sees those who are unseen. We don't get away from him. He loves the ignored. The gospel of our God is not just for the priest in Jerusalem. It's for everyone. It's for the unknown, the forgotten, the marginalized, the looked down upon, the hated, beloved. The gospel of our Lord Jesus is an invitation to life and freedom for the people that you hate. Never forget this. Never forget this. There is no one, no one, no one whose eyes you have ever looked into who is not loved by God. You've never encountered a human being that is not precious to him, sacred to him, beloved to him, for whom he does not desire life and redemption and restoration. Because all of the creation is his. All of it. He made it, and he made it in him and through him and for him, and it is only because of the evil of the curse that it is ruined and separate from him. But the scripture tells us his desire is for all of his creation. All. You have never encountered a scrap of humanity, no matter how depraved or how broken or how sinful or how hurt or how isolated, that is not precious to your God. Never forget that. 
You can't talk about Christmas without realizing that. That the same God who speaks to the priest in Jerusalem appears to the teenage girl in Nowheresville. Come on. What a gospel. What a God we serve. So God has broken the silence. He's speaking again. He meets with the priest. He meets with the little girl. He's working again. And his voice and his actions are huge. When God spoke to Moses in the burning bush, God's people had been pleading for generations. God is speaking with the same gravity when Mary conceives Jesus. And the reason is simple. God is a promise maker and a promise keeper. He has reaffirmed his promise to restore the broken and cursed reality. Since the very moment sin entered the world, right, this is what we've been talking about this series. From the very moment the creation was broken, God was immediately promising that he would fix it, right? Sin entered the world and death entered the world and things were not as they should be. And even as God was describing this new reality separate from him, he was already promising, I will fix this. There is hope for you. God is not satisfied to let sin have the last word. And we know that his promise, his his plan, his redemption to fix what is broken is Jesus Christ the sufficient Jesus Christ, the person, the work of Jesus Christ. And in the person of Jesus Christ, God's solution to sin, and I, I love this. I love that Travis shared this today for us as we were going through that hymn. The solution of Jesus was not to pretend as though sin did not exist. Not to brush it off and say, it's good, don't worry about it, we're cool. Let's just, let's just all be good. No, 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 no. The solution of Jesus was for God himself to enter in to the muck and the mire and the destruction of the sinful, cursed world. The solution of our God, his redemptive plan, was not to ignore the gravity of sin, but to delve into the depths of the curse alongside us and to experience the depths of brokenness and separation with us to step into suffering and hurt. God himself is entering into the muck and the mire of the cursed world. He who is sinless is stepping into the slop of sin and the curse that this world has become. But he comes in power. And he comes to take back what is his, to restore what sin is broken. He's coming in the quiet and humble indignity of an unmarried pregnant teenager. I love this. And as young Mary and young Joseph respond in faith to God's action, their response should be a testimony to us. Walking in the tradition of the countless generations before them, they hear the promise of God and they know in their heart of hearts that the word of God is as good as true. And they submit to his plans. And they circumvent their own. And they walk forward in faith. I hope, I hope as we've gone through these last two weeks, you've seen that, right? Like we, 
we took a week and we talked a little bit about Joseph and what he was wrestling with, and we talked about Mary and what she was wrestling with. And ultimately, the story of Christmas is the story of God's eternal grand plan of redemption intersecting with the grand plans of an engaged young couple. Right? And their plans for their quiet, easy, godly life crash on the breakers of God's eternal plan of redemption. And let's be honest. In the moment, God's eternal plan did not seem all that great for Mary and Joseph. Right? And yet, they walked forward in faith. They heard the word of God and said, your word is true. Your promise is as good as accomplished. I will walk forward in faith. This is the testimony of them to us. The testimony that, according to Hebrews, they join with the entire testimony of every saint and every person of God who's come before us. That they hear God's word, they hear his promise, and they say, you said it, it might as well be done. I will walk forward in faith. And our story today, I love this, Our story today shows us what happens when God's people walk forward in faith. When God's people genuinely believe that God's word is as good as true. We see what that creates in the human heart and creates in the human experience. So look at this. Mary accepts her lot with humility and worship. Look what she says. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Now, the angel had given Mary a sign of the truth of his words, right? Like, hey, you're pregnant, but just so you know, your cousin is also pregnant. The one who who was known as barren, who shouldn't be able to have a kid, God has appeared to her and given her a child also. This sign, right, of, of God's word is as good as true. And so Mary humbly accepts in faith what the angel says, and then immediately goes to interact with her relative, right? So she leaves, and she travels to see Elizabeth. And this this interaction is so good. It's so good. As, As she enters into the space, right, moving forward in faith, her faith begins to just spark these experiences and realities of joy in her and in those around her. Her her faith begins to create these experiences of joy and then joyous worship, right? Look at what Elizabeth says. Like, Like, Mary walks in the room, walking forward in faith, and and the baby inside Elizabeth leaps for joy. John the Baptist recognizes the the entrance of his Lord and his Savior as as a baby in, in utero, right? And then it says the Holy Spirit comes upon Elizabeth, and she begins to speak and worship and prophesy over Mary. Look at her words. Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that it would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. You see the connections here? Mary believed God. Mary believed. Just like last week, right? We read about Abraham. Abraham believed God. This is the step of faith, to hear the promise of God and say yes and amen. 
Yes, I believe it. I will walk forward. I will live my life as though your promise is already accomplished because you keep your promises, God. She walks forward in faith. Mary believed and acted, and look at the result of that act of faith. Joy and worship. Even the unborn babies in the room get to experience the joy and worship. See, this is what faith creates. Look at Mary's response. She breaks into spontaneous worship. She sings this song, right? The Magnificat, right? Like this is one of those famous texts where Mary is piecing together scriptures from 1 Samuel 2 when Hannah prayed a prayer of blessing when God gave her pregnancy and from a couple different psalms and a couple different prophecies. Like in this moment of faithful joy and faithful worship, Mary springs forth in spontaneous scripture-drenched worship. I love that. Not, not even taking a minute to speak to the fact that in the first century, this young, this young teenage girl from Nowheresville knew enough scripture to be able to sing it spontaneously. That's a whole different sermon for a different day. But, but think about this. Mary walks into the room and she's already drenched in the word and she's already walking in faith. And the response is that it all just comes out. It comes out in joy and in worship. And you can feel that in the room between Mary and Elizabeth. The Spirit moving and meeting them in it. Them responding with joy and with worship. If this seems weird to you, right? That, that to look at Mary who was so drenched in the Word and so drenched in faith that, that God moved in His Spirit through her in joy, that the word of God poured back out of her, if that seems unlikely to us, right? Because some people say that, they'll be like, well, Mary couldn't have written that, like, or she couldn't have made that up, like maybe Luke wrote it, or maybe she wrote it later or whatever, but man, if that seems unlikely to you, I would, <laughs> I would suggest that maybe that has to do with how little we ourselves are drenched in the word and drenched in faith than how likely or unlikely it is that this young girl could do such a thing. If you don't believe that, by the way, just ask, Mary Lobogan to pray over you. It'll, it'll change your mind. <laughs> but seriously, I know, I feel like I'm repeating myself, but it's because this story is so simple. It's so simple. Can we just look at this beautiful expression of joyous worship? I want to reread the song she sings. I want, you, I want you to, I want to read this slowly. I want us to think about this. And she's quoting these scriptures and singing and praising. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. And behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. 
If this worship song teaches us anything, right? While this young girl sits and she connects her experience right now. I heard God's word. I believed it. I'm walking in forward in faith regardless of consequences. And she sees her role in the larger redemptive story God has been working out through all of Scripture. She sees her faith right alongside the faith of Abraham and right alongside the generations that God has spoken to and the promises he's made to her people moving from generation to generation for thousands of years. Like As she sees her place in that great march forward of God's continually proving kept promises, right? We can just see that God's faithfulness creates joy in us. That's what it is. Joy comes from God's faithfulness to us. Dunny, you said this perfectly in their, in their, uh, their reading thing this morning. I said that like they wrote it. I wrote it. They were so great, just per- exactly what it was going exactly with what I was saying. <laughs> but seriously, the, the, the point is there, right? Like, happiness is a wonderful thing, and we should experience it when we can. But we know, we know that happiness rises and falls on the waves of circumstance and emotion. You're feeling happy or you're not feeling happy. And you're feeling happy or you're not feeling happy because stuff is going the way you want it to or it's not. And that's okay, right? We were made as human beings with emotion, and we should feel those emotions. And it's okay to be happy, and it's okay to be sad, and all those things. But joy is such a different thing. It's such a different thing. It's this rock-solid foundation. That when a heart is able to actually see the faithfulness of God, when we're actually able to plant our feet firmly on the foundation of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, our immovable rock, who keeps his promises. When we're able to to experience the kind of faith that says God's word is true, period. His promises shall be accomplished, period. His promises are as good as done. He said it. It'll happen. That steadfastness, proven over and over and over and over and over and over throughout all of human history and all of the scripture, creates in it a steadiness. It creates a rock bottom from which you can't fall. Creates a foundation. This is joy. This is joy. Joy is saying, man, sin broke this world. It broke it. And I am a part of it. Because of my sin and the curse of the world, I am ruined and I can do nothing about it. No matter how hard I work, no matter what I do, no matter how many good deeds I stack up, I cannot fix what is broken in me and broken in this world. But God can. God can. And he said he would. He promised he would. 
He promised that he would fix what is broken, that sin would not have the last word. And for the last thousands of years of of human existence, he has proven his faithfulness over and over and over and over as he walks forward in this plan of redemption. And for generations, people have responded to him in faith, and he has proven himself worthy of that faith. Come on. So the stuff he's asking me to do, the tasks he's given me, the story I have, the hurts and injustices I've experienced, the trials and setbacks that I have, I can walk forward in the same faith as the cloud of witnesses who've come before me. I can trust that God is who he says he is, I can have faith that his word will be accomplished. That creates joy. To know that you are secure in Christ. There is no circumstance that can rock your security in Christ. There is no evil so bad, so wrong, so dark that it is more powerful than Christ. There is no injustice so powerful as to upset his sovereign will for your life. There is not. This is why James is able to say, count it pure joy when you meet trials of various kinds. This is why Peter can say, do not be surprised. Don't act as though you're su- like something strange is happening when you suffer. This is why Jesus himself endured the suffering of the cross. You think about that? Jesus himself delved into the depths of the injustice of this cursed and broken world. He was abandoned and betrayed by his closest friend. In his deepest moment of need, when, when all he needed in the world was people to come around him and speak up for him, the people most equipped to protect him lied about him and betrayed him and abandoned him to an unjust, terrible, inhumane death. And the God of the universe was publicly tortured to death. But Hebrews tells us something interesting. In Hebrews 12, when it's talking about faith and the generations of faith that have moved forward from Noah all the way to today, the same generations of faith that Mary taps into in her worship, when the author of Hebrews speaks of that, it says this in the first verse of the 12th chapter, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, speaking of all those who've come before us, walking forward in faith. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, saying, let us continue. Let us take the baton of faith and run forward faithfully, experiencing the stories we've been given. 
walking through the realities of our own lives with the same kind of steadfast faith as the brothers and sisters who've come before us for hundreds of generations. Let us run with endurance the race set before us. Hear this in verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and despised the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Beloved, Jesus himself, Jesus himself endured the wretchedness of this cursed and sinful world. Jesus himself responded to his suffering in faith. Not my will, fathers, but yours be done. And Jesus himself experienced the joy of God's faithfulness. Endured the cross. Despising the shame. He himself the founder and perfecter of our faith, experience the joy of walking forward in faith that is bigger than our circumstances. Come on. And this is the invitation given to us. This is the invitation we have. So the question is really simple. Do you believe that? And Kim led us in this beautiful prayer. I didn't write that one. She led us in this beautiful prayer where she said, there is no joy like the joy of heaven. Do you believe that? Do you actually believe that? When you look at the promise that your sweet Jesus has set before you, I will return. In my father's house, there are so many rooms. If it weren't so, I wouldn't have told you that. So I'm going to go, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I will return, take you home with me. I will be back, and you will be mine. As Paul said, he will, he will lead a train of captives. He will have a parade that he is bringing home with him to eternity. That's a promise. Is that promise believable to you? Is that promise as good as accomplished to you? Is heaven truly your joy? And beloved, I ask you this as I ask myself. Because I've got to be honest, I treasure a whole lot of stuff. I treasure a whole lot of stuff, a whole lot of people, a whole lot of relationships. And I would put that in the list, right? Yeah, it's in there. But man... I gotta be real. That's not enough. That's not enough. For, for Jesus to be one amongst many of my joys and my treasures. For even for him to be chief amongst my treasures. What a foolish way to set myself up. What a foolish way to set myself up for disappointment. I have a great family, and I have great friends. i got to be honest. Their promises are not as good as accomplished. Because there's all sorts of things that can happen. All sorts of, of, of 
all sorts of mistakes, all sorts of sins, all sorts of things outside their control that can intervene and keep their will from being accomplished. It happens all the time. That can't really be my treasure. That can't really be my joy. That's not steadfast. And they will fail. Man, the promises of God are true. They are accomplished. God will do what he has willed to do. His return, his heaven for you, that is as good as accomplished. Do you believe that? Do you have faith in that? Beloved, I would invite you, as I invite myself, we can walk forward in faith. We can look at the promises of our God And we can trust that his word is as true as it could possibly be. That his promises are as good as accomplished. We can walk forward in a faith that says, it does not matter what my circumstances are right now. Good or bad. It does not matter how deep an injustice I have experienced, how terrible of a wrong that has been done to me, how wretched of a thing I have given myself over to, how dark of a habit that has its claws in me. It does not matter. Because my circumstances are not more powerful than the sovereign will of my God, and He has promised He will return and take me home with Him. We can walk forward in that faith. And beloved, I have amazing news for you. That kind of faith creates joy and worship. You can't plant your feet in the solid rock of Christ and not be drawn to joy and worship. It's the very nature of having that kind of stability and love and promise in your life. It creates joy and worship. So this morning... As we click on a candle and we remember the joy of Christmas. The God who stepped into the muck and mire with us. The God who made a promise and is keeping that promise. I want to invite you. We too can walk forward in faith and we too can live in the joy of our Lord, the joy of our salvation. We can worship from the place of confidence and life and freedom that comes from the faithfulness of our God. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read a text for us from the Psalms. This is going to be how I end out. I'm going to ask Travis to come back up. And we're going to have some space to pray and respond. We're going to have some prayer counselors in the room. I don't remember who you are. Zach and Alexis. They'll be on the other side of the room if you need someone to pray out loud with you. You have that invitation. And if you need to sit by yourself and pray, if you need to find some space in this room to be alone with God, whatever you need to do. But I want to encourage us to be with Jesus for a couple minutes. I'm going to read this scripture over you and I want you to I want you to hear it. I want you to be quiet enough and alone enough to hear it and reflect 
on the goodness and sufficiency of Jesus, on the joy of Jesus, the joy of heaven, that he is enough, that to have him is to have your treasure. And be honest with God about that. Work through that. Talk to him about your doubts. Talk to him about your frustrations. Talk to him about the treasures that compete for your affection. See how he responds to you. I guarantee he will meet you with the grace and love and stability of the God who is enough. So I'm going to read this for us. I'm going to open some space for us to pray and meet with Jesus. And then I'll kind of close out that time and we'll, we'll sing a song together. This is from Psalm 16. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after other gods shall multiply. They drink offerings of blood, but I will not pour out. Take their names on my lips. For the Lord is my chosen portion. He is my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord because he gives me counsel. And in the night also, my heart instructs me. So I have set the Lord always before me because he is my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. My flesh dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. You do not let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life because in your presence there is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Beloved, take a few minutes and meet with our sweet Jesus.